bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Hello, this is Diana Thomas, and welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. Today's topic is around how to be more productive and get more of the right things accomplished. One of the biggest challenges I've heard back from our Talent Champion audience, as well as personally experienced, was getting everything done in a fast-paced and demanding world. Finding the time to focus on the activities that will have the most impact on the areas that really matter, all while working with tighter budgets, fewer resources, more technology, and less administrative assistance. Well, a few facts we came across might support where the world is going and why you're feeling the way you're feeling. One, the Bureau of Labor Statistics predicts a 5% decline in the overall number of administrative assistance from 2016 through 2026. Many companies have streamlined administrative costs by asking one assistant to support multiple executives. And the job roles have shifted. Executives are often answering their own phones and writing correspondence while the administrative staff is managing budgets and projects. So I'm thrilled that we have Corey Kogan as our guest today. Corey is the Vice President of Field Development at Franklin Covey, where she's helping to strengthen the capability and capacity of the field teams to be highly consultative. She's the author of several books, most recently the bestseller, The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity. Corey and I met when she helped train my team for McDonald's Corporation. We were focusing on being more productive, leveraging technology, and focusing attention on the most important things. Welcome, Corey. I'm thrilled to have you join us. Thanks, Diane. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, we invited you to come talk about how to most effectively manage your time, be more productive. But first, I wanted to ask you to share a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do, and how you ended up in the role that you have today. I have a business background. I, uh, you know, started way back in in sales, and you know, from there, when you're hopefully good in sales, they ask you to train other people, and I started to, you know, do, do some of some of that work, and it was a skill that I had in helping other people and enabling their capacity to do better. Um, and at the same time, just really worked my way up through organizations with some great mentors uh, to start to take on other departments. Uh, operational departments and learned a lot about that until I ended up as the executive vice president of worldwide operations for a global franchise organization uh, up until about 12 years ago when I then uh, came to Franklin Covey. We were actually a Franklin Covey organization, almost coincidentally, but nothing's a coincidence, ended up um, really doing consulting for Franklin Covey and then ultimately uh, doing a lot of design work and becoming the productivity practice leader uh, and subject matter expert, as well as around our speed of trust work and other leadership work. And so today, as a vice president of field development, sales enablement, you can hear my whole background come to bear with that. And I work um, 
selectively with a number of leadership teams of organizations around the world around productivity and leadership. We really appreciate you spending the time with us today. As we think about, you know, our talent champions and and this issue of struggling to keep everything going, what have you seen in the last five to 10 years in terms of talent champions struggling to keep up in an increasingly demanding role? With technology enabling the speed of everything coming in, in combination with the many good ideas that talent champions have, it's been a struggle because there's so much more to do uh, every day. So how do you get it all done with or without an assistant? Um, And then you have the global aspect as well. So it's no longer a local uh, leadership. It's a global leadership. And so now you're talking about, you know, 10, 12 hours a day turning into 18 to 24 hours a day. And how do you really process all of that? And how do you make that all work? And uh, we only see it getting worse as technology and speed of information uh, gets even more intense. And so why do you think the sense of perpetual busyness has become practically an epidemic today? I like to call this, you know, the wild, wild west of the knowledge worker age. When you go back 120 years in the, in the industrial age, you know, we had systems in place that optimized manual labor. So ISO 9000, Six Sigma, uh, TQM, all of those things were really designed to optimize the work, the manual labor, to have X amount of things come out at the highest quality level. And, you know, today, um, and leaders have always been in this position, we're knowledge workers. And at the highest level, they're paid to think, to innovate, to create, and to execute. And with, again, the speed of information and everything coming in, There's no systems in place. It's sort of the wild, wild west of just trying to get everything done. And so we're constantly busy because there's no friction. There's no no breaks in there that says, wait, let's put this into a process and figure out how to prioritize and make sure we're not overburdened and stuff like that. So, you know, it is very interesting that you ask that question because what I've seen a lot of and warn against is leaders creating a culture of busy versus a culture of productivity. Without the breaks on, the culture of busyness um, will continue to be epidemic. And I think about technology, where before you could at least turn off the job when you left because people would call and leave you a message and you wouldn't get it until the next day or, you know, emails were more just uh, accessed through work computers. But now, you know, it feels like you're on 24-7 because people can get in touch with you 24-7. So sometimes, you know, we talk about technology helping us, but in many cases, it has created this feel of even more going on and even busier because I have so many things coming at me from different directions. Right. Leaders, talent champions at the highest level don't wake up in the morning and going, hmm, how do do I make my teams miserable today? It just sort of happens naturally um, and by accident. It's unconscious, right? Because we have something on our mind and we're like, oh, I need to let my team know this or I need to let my, know, you know, I boss. And we text and it could be 10 o'clock at night. The problem is that we, when, when a, the board of directors texts at 10 or 12 or, or I uh, text my team, uh, the management team, we're not thinking about, oh, it's 10 o'clock at night. Let me wait. We're just getting it off our plate onto somebody else's plate without thinking about 
the outcome of that. So who's ever the recipient of that text might, if it's your team, they're going, am I supposed to be answering these at 10 o'clock at night? You know, I don't, I don't know. And the stress level alone that this lack of systems and this on all the time kind of environment is really hurting, you know, everybody. Yeah. One of the things I was reading in an article that excited me yesterday, it was a Forbes article on trends for 2019 in regard to wellness. One of the projected trends was businesses were going to better encourage employees to disconnect. And I was so excited to see that because even though I would tell my team, hey, I might send some emails from time to time, um, you don't need to look at them. I knew people were looking at them. And even if my boss told me that, I would feel compelled if they came through. And once you look at it, you're in that mode. So I was so encouraged to see this article that one of the trends is, especially businesses that want to attract and retain top talent, are going to try to better encourage their employees to disconnect by setting some parameters about when emails can be sent out if they're not critical. So that was kind of exciting to see. I don't remember which country it is, but there is a country where it is now against the law to email employees after a certain hour. Wow. Wow. Talk (laughs) about taking a stand. I like that, you know, because it's, it's so easy to do and, you know, it does create that extra work. But getting back to kind of everything's coming in, whether it's through technology or more expectations that people have of you and less resources around to help you to get it done. How do people start to process everything that's coming in and then make the decisions on what to respond to? Well, uh, Diana, I got to give you a little bit of the why before I, before I give you the what on that, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that it's, you know, we're in the knowledge worker age. We're paid to think, to innovate, to create and execute. And so the tool that needs to be optimized is the brain. How do we help with everything that's coming in? And, you know, when we say, oh, there's so much coming in, how do we manage our time? It's not really about the time that we're managing. What we're managing is the incoming. Everything that's incoming essentially is a decision that the brain has to make. And so what we say is the real critical issues that we need to think about to start to get a process in place is us really mastering the ability to make the highest value decisions all day long, stay focused in the midst of terrible distractions. Um, just if you think about any, you know, any uh, when you go online, how hard it is to stay focused, even when you're reading the news, because all these ads are coming and blinking and, and twirling and all that kind of stuff, um, and the dings and pings of everything else. And do we have the energy at a high enough level to make those decisions um, and stay focused? So decision-making, attention management, energy management really is key to even begin thinking about what the process is. Having said that, you know, we can't just leave your talent champions and going, okay, go back and make high value decisions and stay focused and make sure you have high energy and have a nice day. The brain requires process all the way from beginning to end. And so the process to start thinking about intentionally the incoming and what to make decisions about or not to is a time-tested principle that we use called the time matrix. 
And the time matrix takes the words urgent and important and puts them together. And so we say when something is urgent and important, it's what we call a quadrant one. It's necessary to do right now. You'll find crises here. You'll find anything that's really urgent must be done uh, right this minute is a quadrant one. Quadrant three, urgent, not important. It's a distraction. Quadrant four, it's not urgent, not important. It's a waste of time and meaning excessive, I'm burnt out, so I'm just sort of hanging out in quadrant four. And quadrant two is important, not urgent. And right there, that's where a talent champion really owes it to him or herself and their organization to get really clear for the, for the organization what's important, not crisis important, because we've got a lot of that, But what's important to the organization, the strategy, the execution, what are the key things that must be done with the highest level of quality, on time, et cetera, that drive the results of the organization? And then from there, we very intentionally think about how do we minimize the the necessary, you know, those crises? How do we minimize the distractions? How do we not be so burnt on urgency that we're sort of stuck in quadrant four? So when the brain has this kind of process, then as things are incoming and we realize for the brain, we must be very intentional, making very conscious decisions about what's incoming, we can say, you know what? That's a quadrant three. That's a distraction. I'm not going to get caught up in that. Or if I don't do this now and give it to my team, I'm going to put them in a really bad place. So let me make sure I do this in a timely manner. And let me make sure I stay really clear on what's of the highest importance so I can communicate that really well with my team. And we have a system of prioritization in place that starts to create a culture of productivity. So that's a start. I love that time management quadrant. And I tell you, I've probably been referencing it and thinking about it, talking about it, teaching it for probably 20 some years since I first saw it, because that was one of the things that really helped me as a new leader. And what I found is I, as a leader, especially, you know, coming up as a woman leader and really wanting to prove myself and, you know, not get any special treatment, but to show that I could, you know, lead at the highest level is any request that was coming in, I was like, how do I get this done? I was almost like the order taker and conditioning people to bring things to me. And as I learned, I started to make different decisions on where I focused my time. And so if our audience isn't aware of or familiar with this time matrix quadrant, I would definitely have you, you know, look into it and and really think back, where are you spending your time? Because if you don't start spending some more time, which I found out firsthand, and I coach people to do in quadrant two, quadrant one is going to keep growing, and you're going to get more and more crisis because you're not in that prevention mode. And you're not really working on those big things that'll make the biggest impact. And like you said, using the brain to help process things that come in. Uh, We had a joke on our team is, you know, people would ask, are you in quadrant three right now when you'd ask for something? And it would be interesting because people would go back and go, wait a minute. um, I thought it might have been more of a quadrant one, but you know what? You are right. It's a quadrant three or, you know, hey, can you guys help me? Because I really have an important quadrant two that I need your assistance. So you can almost create a language, what we found out on our team by teaching everybody on the team. And then you can help each other stay focused on the most important important areas. So I love that quadrant. For our talent champions who want to start focusing on that highest priority items, what's one thing that they can start doing differently right now? 
so I'm actually going to give you two things, is that they get very intentional at the incoming because what happens is we're so much in survival mode a lot of the times with everything that's incoming that we unconsciously maybe are trying to get our email out or particularly at the highest level of talent champion who have such great ideas Again, they're unconsciously saying, hey, let's do this or let's do this or go do this. And we're delegating to the team a lot of stuff where if we just became more intentional about it, we realize that they can't necessarily get all that done. So how do we become more intentional and conscious of those kinds of things? But So that's, that's number one. And the second one is in my experience with C-level in particular, but it could be at any level of talent champion, uh, and I found this personally, it is really important if you're delegating or if you're, you're asking people on your team to do something, um, that uh, you let them know immediately, do you need it right now or not? If you are the talent champion, then you look at this and say, how can I delegate upwards? Or am I doing some of what I'm about to describe as well? And I can change my own behavior and give myself some relief. Because some of this overload is self-imposed. And I'll just say what happened to me. I realized I was sending things out to my team and saying, you know, I'd love for you to do this. Tell me when you can have it done, whatever. And they're like, oh, we can have it done tomorrow. I don't need it tomorrow. And I realized that because they were getting something from me, they felt that it automatically meant we, I need it immediately. And I see this all around the world where because the talent champion is like a celebrity to their team and to the people who work underneath or you know throughout the organization. So when you say jump, they're going to go how high unless you put the brakes on for them. So I make sure that when I'm sending something out to my team in the subject line, I'll put, like you were talking about the language, Diana, I'll put, this is a quadrant two. And if it, you know, if it happens to be a quadrant one, which I'm very careful about, I'll put that. And there's been times, even we asked to, for a survey on some things, we put, you know what, this is a quadrant three. If you don't have time, don't worry about it. And, um, so, so just be clear with your team, because if you don't, they're going to assume everything's important. And those are the people that are then going to be saying, oh, my God, I'm so busy. My boss wants everything all the time. And again, for you as a talent champion, if you're thinking, wow, every time my boss sends me something, I'm not qualifying it. I'm just assuming it's, it all needs to be done now, then you may want to step back from that and have this discussion with the person you report to and just put some things into priorities. So I think that's the most important thing that somebody could do right now to start changing the game. That's a great suggestion. I had a terrific communication manager that worked for me. And one of the things that she would do if I didn't tell her when I needed it, she would respond back and say, just so I can ensure I meet your needs, when is this due? When do you need it? 
So if I didn't ask, she would ask. So I love that coaching that, you know, as leaders, we should be doing that. But we can also, you know, condition our people to ask us too, that everything doesn't need to be done right away. If we forget to put that priority one, or, you know, we used to put P1, P2, P3, it was a priority one, two, three, you know, based on timelines. But I really like using the quadrants if everybody was on the same page, because then I think it helps people see maybe how much energy and when that energy needs to be uh, focused on that priority. So great suggestion. I think everybody could do that. You know, start off with that one thing. That's a great suggestion. So let's continue to talk about the team. And and do you have suggestions on how our learning leaders and HR and talent leaders can structure their teams so in the long term, it helps them stay more focused on their high priority, high impact items? Whether it's a time matrix or if somebody has a better process around filtering all of the incoming, that's the principle here, is that you need a process where you and your team is, are able to prioritize, uh, that they understand what's important, less important, not important for us and for you. So even in the onboarding process, really making sure that you have a process that you can help new people coming in to understand how we are doing prioritization and how we clarify around what quadrant two is, what is most important to the organization, how does that connect all the way through the organization to what this team's role is. I think also setting up a safe environment where there isn't retribution when somebody does say, this feels a little Q3-ish, can you tell me why it's a Q1 or a Q2? The way you said it, Diana, in your organization, and, and I was there for it, it was your culture was one where people felt safe to be able to ask those questions. And I don't see that in all organizations. So you wanna make sure that you have a level of trust that people feel like I can ask that without getting you know my head bitten off or anything like that. And sometimes it's just perception. It's not even reality, but you have to make sure that you have that kind of culture. Another key thing around setting up teams, and even when you think about your pipeline to leadership, when you are promoting people, that you do have a serious conversation around the change in quadrant two, because people, when they are promoted, are excited because they're promoted because they did great technical work. And so now I have a team and that sometimes tends to uh, have leaders want to do everything. It's like, well, I'm the one that does the great technical work. So even though I have a team, I'm the one that's going to keep doing the technical work versus realizing that quadrant two isn't any longer as much about excelling at the technical work, but building and strengthening the capacity of your team to be able to do great technical work. So that shift in what's important is really key when it comes to your leadership pipeline uh, as well. So those are a couple of tips on team building um, and uh, systems in place for productivity. 
Yeah. Great advice. You know, the onboarding and, and really making sure as you promote people, like you said, you're you're having those discussions and you're helping them shift because that is probably one of the biggest shifts from moving to being, you know, from an individual contributor to now overseeing people. And, you know, there's definitely skill sets that you need to strengthen, especially your top performers, because they were so great at getting things done and they want to stay in that mode. Um, one other thing I, I would put in there is having that clear vision. And I think that was one of the things that helped my team is really defining, you know, what is our focus? What are we trying to get done? And then when things come in that aren't part of that vision and our focus and our key priorities is let's have a discussion before you jump in and do anything. Because if you're doing that, you're taking energy and time away. So I love that those suggestions of let's have processes in place to help screen where you spend your time and, and where you spend your energy. You know, as the executive VP of an organization reporting to the CEO and the board and spending most of my time with them, I was very clear on the vision and the mission of the organization. Uh, We were very good at our own strategic planning every year. And I was always, I'm going to use the word amused, uh, respectfully amused, if you will, or even slightly frustrated because I found that people a few rungs down didn't necessarily know what the vision was or what our key strategies were. And I would think to myself, how could you not know it? We talk about it all the time. It came to bear, particularly as I changed positions. I spent the first couple of years at Franklin Covey just doing consulting work. And so really didn't have access to the executive team at that time, 12 years ago, stuff like that. And over the first few years, I, I sort of knew what Bob Whitman's, you know, vision and strategy was, but it wasn't as burnt into my brain. Uh, it would leave, it would go away and I'd have to go find it again. And it was very reflective for me and introspective because I had a big aha moment. When you are the leader, and living and breathing the vision and the mission, you you become a little jaded and you go, what do you mean they don't? What do you mean you don't? We told them. But when you're in the mix of it and you're on the ground and you're out there and you're executing, you know, it's not top of mind all the time. So I realized that you can't get judgmental about it and you really have to keep it front and center um, and and make sure people really on a regular basis, you know, you're giving them tools to remember and really know the strategy, vision of the company and how their world connects to it. So I just wanted to make that point because it was a big learning for me as I became a slightly judgmental executive. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. And I tell you, many of the executives I coach are not familiar with the vision and can't recite it because there's so much going on and they're very focused on their piece of the puzzle, but helping them see how it connects. And intuitively, they know what they're doing is impacting the business, but really being able to state it, to break it down for each of their team members when they're having those conversations. Uh, I remember my executive coach that I had when I was um, 
an executive should say, you know, how many times have you cast and are you recasting your vision so that you continue to keep people focused on what's most important? So I think those are some excellent points. Well, you know, um, Daniel Pink, uh, Dr. Daniel Pink speaks a lot, this a lot around purpose. And if, if the leader is not for their team connecting their work to the purpose and the vision of the organization, you're missing a boatload of productivity because knowing that purpose, and he's done some really great research uh, around, around this, that understanding the purpose uh, of something drives productivity up by double digit percentages. So the better those executives that are really clear on the vision, the better they get at it and are able to say, here's why we're doing this work and how it connects then you're going to find people are more intuitively putting things into quadrant two uh, because they've got drive behind it. So purpose is a tremendous part of actually the energy that drives productivity. Yeah, I think it's probably one, if not the most important thing that leaders should be doing for their people. So yep. great point. So focusing let's on how someone shows up on a daily basis. In my book, you know, how to be more strategic in business, I talk about making your calendar work for you. And it's very easy when you interact with an executive or I start coaching a leader and I see how they're talking about their day just in that initial interview and what they talk about, you know, some of them that need to be a little bit more strategic or create more time so that they can think and focus on the right things. We'll talk about, you know, their calendar is driving them crazy. You know, they're back to back. They don't have time in between meetings. You know, uh, they don't have any administrative downtime and and I'll say, so who's in charge of your calendar? Well, everybody else needs me, you know. So let's talk a little bit, maybe shift our discussion to how do you really make your calendar, you know, work for you and for your role in your organization? I'm sure you've got some great tips for us. So um, I'll start with one of our principles is what we call the 30-10 promise and what that means is before the week starts, it's 30 minutes for weekly planning, 10 minutes for daily planning. And again, talent champions, we, we, we all know how to, you know, we know how to use a calendar. This is not rocket science. It's more of polishing. How do we really, you know, make this a good process and stay with it? And so with the 3010 promise, 30 minutes, meaning just I'm going to be intentional. I don't care if it's 20 minutes or 60 minutes. I'm going to get into my prefrontal cortex and I'm going to just think about the roles that I play in life, my work role, my personal role, my community role, you decide, just don't make it a lot of roles. I'm going to think about the things next week that are truly the most important quadrant two things that I need to get done. Maybe it's just two roles out of four or five that you have, you know, these really important things or with work, uh, you know, I've got these three things, no matter what I've got to get done next week. We call these big rocks. Make sure in this, this time block that of 30 minutes before the week starts, when I can think, I'm going to put the most important things or make sure the most important things are blocked in my calendar and not on a task list in your calendar. So it's a task that goes into a time slot because the more specific you get, the higher the probabilities of accomplishment. That's research-based uh, as well. So if it sits on a task list, um, it you know, I, I'm sure lots of people have experiences and they'll say this, Corey, I put it on the task list, but then I keep moving it every day and it just keeps moving, moving, moving. What do I? So we've actually stopped saying 
you know, you want to keep a task list, but when you're doing this kind of planning, you want to look at the task list, take the few most important things that must get done in the following week or weeks and put them into a time slot. And then take 10 minutes at the end of each day, um, also very consciously, just to take a deep breath, you know, cross out the, the things that you completed. That, by the way, is a dopamine hit. People love to cross things out, so much so that I know there's a lot of people that, you know, when they have a task list uh, and they go do something that wasn't on the list, they'll come back to the list, write it down just to be able to cross it off uh, again to, be, to get that dopamine Okay, that's uh, yeah. me. I do I that. I admit it. <laughs> yeah, lots of people do it. And it's because you get that, you know, that squirt goes right to the reward center uh, in your brain. But, you know, when you have calendar systems in place, uh, because your productivity will go up, you won't have that kind of need all the time because what you're trying to do is validate that you're productive, that I'm accomplished. So let me write it down to cross it off to show that I am productive. So You'll still do it, but you may not need to do it as much. 10 minutes at the end of the day um, to just breathe and cross off <clears throat> what you have accomplished. And there's going to be things you're not going to get to. This is, you know, I say this all the time. I'm very candid and this is the real world. And I come from the real world. And heck, you know, the best laid plans, it's not always going to work out. It'll work out better, but you got to stay vigilant with it. And so now I'm going to move things. If I didn't get something done, you know, I'll move it to another day or whatever it might be. So I just take 10 minutes to just reconcile all of that and keep things moving and keep things in measurable places. The, so that's a 30-10 promise. In addition to that, when you're doing this scheduling, we say do not schedule more than 50% of the day. And you mentioned before, back-to-back, back-to-back meetings and stuff like that. And I see people's calendars where they have it so filled, they are so set up for failure because there's no way for a number of reasons. If you're at a physical location and you need to go to a meeting that's in the next building or even two doors down, you still need the time to clean up from the meeting you're in, get your act together for the next meeting and go over there. So if you're a leader, you need to be modeling great behavior and one of them should be promptness. And I it just, I must tell you, it, it does not to be judgmental, but it does irk me. There's so many leaders that it just feels like it's their right to be late. And you really, you know, engagement is the number one productivity tool in organizations. And so your being late is one of the greatest disengagers. So when it comes to meetings, you know, make sure you have space uh, between those meetings. And, you know, if you've got a bunch of tasks to do, a bunch of stuff to do, do not fill the day with it because you're just going to be sad and mad. You're going to say, you know what, this doesn't work. Schedule things based on 50% of the day and assume you're going to get interrupted or have quadrant one things the rest of the time. And if you don't, then you can always go back to a very organized task list where you're, is a repository for every single thing that you're thinking about that might have to get done. And you're able to go pick out something else and stick it into the day because you've got some extra time. So the 3010 promise, not filling your calendar um, with more than about 50% to, you know, to its capacity. Um, and then the other thing organizationally is both for yourself and your team, 
be very aware of how you are setting up meetings with others. Uh, because we hear this all the time. Oh, that they, they don't care um, what's on my calendar. They just step on, you know, my calendar. So if there was just some conventions around how we're setting up meetings, both um, above and below, that can go a long way to everybody feeling like they can get some things done. So those are a few tips. Yeah, great tips. And and I know some of our audience is probably saying, boy, wouldn't that be ideal if I could just schedule 50% of my uh, calendar because there are so many things they're involved in. And I would say, you know, can you work towards at least getting a little more space? And, and what I'll coach my executives is, can you even get 15 minutes between meetings? And we're going to get into technology in a minute. You know, instead of just having it automatically, you know, my calendar app scheduling everybody for an hour, is changing it to 45 minutes. So at least if I was back to back, I had to go back and renegotiate and say, hey, I've got 45 minutes. And it's amazing how much you can get done in a half hour or 45 minutes instead of just assuming that every meeting needs to be an hour. And I couldn't agree more with you in regards to showing up on time, especially for up and coming leaders. And you want to be taken seriously as a strategic leader. You need to show up. You need to be prepared. You need to come in with the right mindset. You need to, as you said, engage with people before you sit down and you start this meeting. So even if you can't, you know, free up some of your calendar right now because you're evolving to that, can you at least make sure you've got a cushion in between meetings so that you can, you know, walk at a slower pace, that you can say hi to people on the way to the next meeting and show up and be prepared? Two things to that. One, um, let me just clarify, when I talk about 50%, What I'm talking about is scheduling the absolutely most important things that must be done with high quality, because obviously you're not going to be sitting around all day as a leader waiting for stuff. There's stuff happening all the time. But to be honest with you, sometimes because it's so crazy, um, I'm, I'm sure you have felt like that, where sometimes I feel like, wow, if I just get this one email out today. That is, you know, and this was my day yesterday. I had, and I actually keep a whiteboard right next to my desk here. I have my calendaring, but just, you know, my big rocks, I'll put them on the whiteboard for the day. And like, okay, if I can just get to those one or two things today and and do it well, that's a big win for me. And don't load your calendar up with highly important, high quality work. You know, pick a few where you really feel like you're going to have the time because the rest of your day job is, you know, filled in right around that. So I just want to clarify that point. Number two, along with the 45 minute reduction, because in most organizations, it's an hour default, right? It's, it, that's what a meeting is. So consciously reducing that has been very helpful in organizations. I'll just tell you one uh, chief operating officer of a very large uh, food company. They actually needed to get themselves together because they wanted their 750 sales reps to be uh, much better at all of this. They they knew it needed to start with them, but one of the leaders, they examined all of their meetings and he eliminated himself uh, from six hours of meetings per week. And he's like, Corey, I don't need to be there. Uh, They don't need me at at the other one. I'm a distraction if I show up here. And so he gave himself back six hours, which then enabled others in the organization to do the same kind of examination. And when you start to do some quantitative analysis on what the return is to the organization on that, it's huge. So 
That's a great tip is, you know, evaluate where you're spending your time and do you need to spend your time there, especially meetings. I I remember reading a survey that that's one of the things that people were most frustrated with was unproductive meetings. And they can be unproductive because we don't have the right people there. And then, you know, we can also work on some efficiency and effectiveness in regards to leading them. But great advice. So let's talk a little bit about technology. And I tell you, that's one of the things I think my team benefited the most from, or one of the areas when you came in and you did some training with us, is really learning to leverage technology and use that to help you stay focused on the most important things and be more productive. So maybe just giving us some of those things to uh, look into if we're not comfortable doing it ourselves. Yeah, and uh, it's a great point because if you do have an admin or an executive secretary or whatever it might be, the two of you should really understand this together and create this kind of system. First of all, we have a lot of devices, right? So we have our computers, we have our uh, tablets, we have our phones, and then you have all the systems inside the you know the organization, um, which is a whole nother level of conversation. So we'll, we'll keep this at, at a high level for... Um, for today. And, you know, the first thing is coming to terms with um, what your stuff is and where it is. So I like to say, where, where's your stuff? And so if you were going to clean up your desk, or if your assistant was going to clean up your desk, there's really only four buckets that your stuff could fall into. It's either going to be a calendar item, an appointment, or a task, right? So it needs to go on your task list. Uh, or it might be a contact, you know, contact information, or it might be a file or information. That's it. Those are the four buckets of stuff. There really isn't anything else. And so once you get it that, oh, gosh, you know, there's only four, play, you know, four things that I can label any of that, that pile of stuff on my desk or in my inbox kind of thing. Once we uh, say that, then we use what we call the principle of one and say, where's your stuff? Because uh, your stuff should be in one place, meaning each one of those four components should be one place. So it, you want to have a master task list. Mm-hmm. You want to have your calendar. You have your contacts. And you have notes. Because if you think about, I've got two or three different calendars. I've got two or three different task lists. Then you're busy looking for stuff or you're going to be missing appointments. So or you're missing tasks because it was over there when you were looking here. So you want to make sure technology-wise that you set up in today's... And listen, by the way, some people are still using the paper planners, whether it's Franklin Covey or Daytime, or and it's. I find people are apologetic about it. If that works for you, because all four of those components... Uh, are in that, and you know, fine, use paper or use a combination of technology and paper. Most people today um, are using Outlook or Google to help manage that. And so, what we say is the principle of one, you know, and your devices. So, um, your task list should, if you open up any device, it should be the same task list. More importantly, and even easier. Uh, particularly with uh, technologies like Microsoft Exchange, you can open up all technologies and your calendar is the same across your devices. Your contacts should be, is it in Outlook or is it in Salesforce? You know, where is your, your contacts and where are you keeping your notes? So for instance, OneNote, uh, Microsoft OneNote, or I love Evernote. So whatever device I'm on, 
uh, I have all of my notes across uh, all of that. So that's the first main big bucket of how to organize um, around your technology is this understand the buckets and then this principle of one. And that's a great start. Calendar, one task list, one place for your contacts, and then one place for notes that if you need to go back and reference or you need more details, you've got that. So I think that's really helpful for anybody. What about email? It's not uncommon for executives to receive hundreds of emails a day. I think back when I, before I retired from corporate America full time, I was getting on average 400 emails a day. And you know, that that's definitely challenging. So how do you begin to manage your inbox when you're getting that number of emails every single day? It's almost an intervention where you have to do what we call an email detox. Um, so there's so much with that, just to even to start the conversation, right? Because there's behaviors associated with it where uh, I've got... Um, newsletters from everywhere coming in. I've got junk mail coming in. I'm on every distribution list. I'm on every CC list. Um, Our company suffers from the reply all disease because people just can't seem to help themselves but to hit reply all, and I do it too. Whether it's the talent champion or the uh, assistant helping to do this, when we talk about an email detox, We say, if you've got a few thousand emails in your inbox, which lots of people do, create a folder uh, that you're, a detox folder, and take like 200 emails and put them in the folder, meaning I'm not going to leave them there. I'm just going to work on those 200 instead of trying to work on 2,000. And then you can start to do some things. Go through the 200. Take a look. And again, you can pick any number, a small chunk. The brain works better in small chunks. And go through the 200 and start to see, you know what? It's sort of like the meetings we talked about before. I don't need to be on this distribution list. Let me get myself off. Let me unsubscribe to these things. Let me redirect these emails to the right people. Those few things I just said are some of the basics of of manually going through and changing people's behaviors or getting yourself off some of these lists that you don't need to be on. The second half of that goes to what we call our master moves uh, around technology. So it is interesting. I know a lot of executives know some of this around what you can do with these email repositories. I'm working with a couple of very high level executives now that as I made this statement uh, at a keynote, I said, I welcome emails because I have turned Outlook into a productivity engine. And I just made, I dropped that comment and was moving on. I, I didn't have time to really go into it. And and the COO said, wait, what? wait, whoa, hold, hold the phone. And everybody you could see was sitting up and like, what, what did she just say? Um, because I, and I said, and they said, what did you just say? And I said, no, you could turn Outlook into a productivity engine. And they made me stop what I was doing to explain what I'm about to explain to you. And they're like, oh my goodness, we never knew any of this. 
when we look at our email, we think, oh my God, there's 100, 400 messages in my inbox. And actually, emails are not just a bunch of messages. Every email is a decision that your brain has to make. Uh, so imagine you're clawing through your emails and many people will go, let me get through the, you know, the easy ones and then I'll get to the hard, and you never get, you never get done. Or uh, you say, oh, let me read it now, I'll read it again later. Or, I mean, you end up living in your inbox um, and, and all of these things in here are a bunch of decisions that the brain has to make. Every day we're making the same decisions. I'm gonna delete those same things. I'm gonna, that one is the same CC that I keep getting. Uh, oh, I, this one needs to move to, it is a, a trade journal. I wanna move that to the newsletter folder. And so you're every day making the same decisions and wasting energy that needs to be saved for higher value uh, decisions. So the, the, the principle of automation leads us to connect that to uh, rules in Outlook, filters in Google. So if you know how to set up rules, meaning that you will pre-decide what happens to an email so it never hits your inbox. And I am a little surprised at the amount of people, particularly executives that aren't aware of this, but good because now you have this great tool to use where you can set up rules. So an example would be, I'm getting this vendor that I keep getting all the time. The spam filters aren't keeping it out. And I just don't want to see this anymore. So you can set up a rule that every time, you know, vendor X comes through, that it automatically gets deleted and you'll never see it again. It's great. Or you're hot interviewing for a particular position and you send, um, you know, the, the anybody who's uh, inquiring, uh, you say to them, put the word resume as the first word in the subject line, resume dash Heidi Miller. Um, and then you can set up a rule that says, when you see the word resume, send a copy to Todd Davis in HR and print it out on my printer. I, I mean, it's amazing what these rules can do so that it's all uh, pre-decided. You could set up 30 or 40 rules that pre-decide all of this. And this is amazing because you're talking about you know, 20 to 30% of your inbox can be automated so that you can really focus your time on the most important things. So that's one master move. I'll stop, Diana, before I go to the second one. No, I love that one. And I tell you, that was one way I really cut down on my emails is unsubscribing to things, getting um, my assistant, and I was blessed to at least have a portion of a person's time to handle some of the ones that she could handle, and then putting in folders, because a lot of times we're giving reports and things that we may need, but not right that day that they come. So I would file things. And it just, it made me calmer to be able to go in and see my email with more important things than all of these other things. So I really like the ability to use the rules and, and uh, use your assistant to help you set those up if you're not familiar on how to do it. Right. The second one, and I'm going to come back to folders in a moment uh, after I explain the second one, the second one, we say, turn things into what they really are. So if you remember what I said earlier about the four components, we call them the four core, tasks, calendar, appointments, uh, contacts, and notes. Well, your inbox, every email is not just a decision, but every email is either one or more of those four things. And in Outlook or Google, you know, on the lower left-hand side, you have 
the icons where you have a task system, your calendar icon, there's a notes icon, and a contact. You can keep your contact. So the four components are right there in Outlook. You can turn things into what they really are. So there might be an email from one of your direct reports or from your boss that is saying, hey, I'd like you to work on Project X, and if you could have it for me by um, you know, January 31st, that would be great. I can just hold down the left click and drag that email down to the task folder and let go. And a, a task pane opens up with it already pre-populated. And the whole email conversation comes along for the ride. But now it's in my task system. And some people say, oh, I've never tried the task system. I would say try it. I don't have an assistant. And whether you are the assistant or you don't have an assistant, this becomes your assistant because with that task, I can set a start date and a due date. I can put reminders on it. I can put priority levels on it, do all those things so I can turn it into a task, get it out of my inbox and know that the system will keep me alerted so I don't end up in quadrant one going, oh, holy moly, uh, it's due tomorrow and I didn't know, know it. So you can take that same email and you can also drag it to your calendar because you might be setting up a meeting with your boss to review it. And so I'm going to drag the same thing to the calendar and up pops a calendar box and it's pre-populated. You just have to fill in a couple of more things. Um, and now it's out of my inbox, but it's in the measurable components that it belongs in. So I know when my meeting is, it's got reminders on it. I know the task is in there with the date that I need it completed in order to be ready for the meeting, uh, et cetera. So those are a couple of examples and you can use it with everything else as well. So turn it into what it is is really so powerful. People, when they see me do it, they're like, oh God, and it brought everything along with it and the attachments. Going back to the folders, you want to be careful. You know, the folders on the left-hand side. When I said earlier, you know, we're living in our inbox, what we find is that people set up folders and then their behaviors make it that they're living in little rooms in their inbox. Here's what I mean by that. If you are dragging actionable things to a folder, you know, like the boss folder, that's the most common one. Is there anything in here I need to work on for the boss? So what we recommend is that you only drag things to the folders that are informational. You turn actionable things into tasks with dates on it and you can put them into categories. So you might have a boss category um, so that you, you're not having to search or stress out like, oh my God, I got to check the boss thing to see if I missed anything. It's all being calculated for you and managed by the system. The third one is what we call link to locate. You know, I think an important thing here, Diana, is that we know that there's 1,440 minutes in a day and it's like a bad checking account. So once the day starts, those minutes tick by where you can't, you know, you can't get them back. They're gone. And so how do you optimize that? So when I say things like, you know, now we're spending time looking for resources we know we have to have, it's a waste of time. It's quadrant one that's just wasting those precious minutes. And so when we talk about linking to locate, we're talking about as you're going along, you can you know, copy hyperlinks from around your systems and put them right into a calendar item or a task item. 
I'll give you a, a real example. Obviously, the executive committee has opinions, which is fine. And so as we're working on something or anything that I'm working on now, I'll get opinions from the CEO and, you know, the president and whatever. And they're like, hey, want you to think about this. Hey, you know, whatever. And so instead of leaving them in my inbox on my task around, you know, complete this by X date, as those come in, I'm just hyperlinking them into that calendar item so or that task. So when I go to work on it, they're just all lined up right there. And I don't have to go search and go, oh, wait, where's that thing from Bob? And I know Paul had some feedback. It's all right there. So linking to locate, always making sure whatever you're working on, if there's resources somewhere, make sure you're just hyperlinking uh, so that you're attached to it in a list. Uh, and can just quickly and efficiently get to work on it. So really important. Yeah, great advice. Linking to locate. I can tell you, I waste time trying to locate. And I'm like, it'll drive me crazy. I know I had this. I'm not sure where I put it. So great tip, great advice for for all of us. So if you are blessed to have an assistant in today's world, or you have the opportunity to add one to your team, how can you make sure that that person is as helpful as possible? Do you have some tips for us? Well, I think, you know, when it comes to productivity, everything that we talked about today, without question, sitting down and defining the guidelines around productivity. So understanding the time matrix, um, obviously understanding what's expected in the role, what's really important to both of them. How are you calendaring together? you know, having done a couple of interventions with executives and their assistants to sort of clear the air around this. Just an example was obviously she was responsible for her boss's travel. And so she, you know, wanted to make sure his travel was right, exactly what he wanted. And so she would, you know, go into his office and interrupt him and say, hey, what about this? Or what about that? Is this okay? And it was driving him crazy, but they hadn't talked to each other about it. It goes back to the trust thing and all that. We had to come up with sort of a system of here's the two or three times in the day when we'll connect and catch up on everything. So that way they both were able to get their work done and really focus. I also want to say, just whether it's for yourself or for your assistant or for both of you, being interrupted is a great productivity killer because we all know what being in the zone is. You know, it's like, boy, I was really in the zone. And what that is, is your brain is hyper-focused, so deep in your prefrontal cortex. When you're pulled out of that, getting back into it is difficult. And every time you get pulled out, you cannot get back in at the same level. It degrades every single time. So for you and your assistant, it's really important. Have those blocks of time where you can uh, catch up on whatever the important action items are. You know, What are the top three or four things that you're doing for that executive? Is it managing their time, managing their schedule, doing their travel? If you both don't need to, then you know, say, we don't need the time. And get your technology you know, together? Are you using the tools together? uh, And is the admin helping set up the boss? Are both of you set up the same way? Just those few tips will streamline the relationship between the administrative assistant and the talent champion. Yeah, 
No, I think those are great suggestions. And uh, just emphasizing again is clear roles and responsibilities. In addition to having that regular time to catch up and calendar, I like how you said that calendar together is clear roles and responsibilities I found really helped and creating a win-win agreement. What does success look like? You know, how do we hold each other accountable? What are the expectations they have of me as the boss? And what expectations do I have? So I loved using those two tools. And maybe uh, for our audience, when you go to our website, the Talent uh, Champions uh, website, you can you know, look at some of the resources. I'll post a few that I used personally. And if there's anything else we can link to uh, that Corey has, uh, there's so many wonderful things and resources out there to help you. So thank you for sharing a few with us. And and maybe just kind of turning to if you don't manage your time uh, very well and your energy and your um, ability to stay focused on the right things, people get burnt out. Um, So how do you make sure you're fueling your fire all the time? Let me, again, just take a second and give you the why here. I, you know, in all this wonderful time that I've gotten to spend with you um, uh, on this podcast, I keep talking about the brain being optimized to make the highest value decisions and to stay focused without being distracted takes an enormous amount of energy. And so really your brain requires an enormous amount of oxygen and the right kinds of nutrients in order to operate at the level that it needs to operate because your brain takes more energy than any other part of your your being. And so when we talk about fueling your fire, we're really talking about how do I optimize my ability to make the highest value decisions and stay focused? Because lots of us know how many times have we said by three o'clock in the afternoon, it's like, oh God, I'm so worn out. I can't think I'm making mistakes. I need to close my eyes. And that's what's happening. So, you know, we talk about the five energy drivers around um, eat, sleep, relax, connect, and move. And I, again, our parents tell us we have to do those things, but the science behind, you know, not only working out in the morning, but not, I mean, even right now for the first part of our time together, I was sitting and then I thought, Corey, get out of your chair and stand for two reasons. Number one, sitting, they say is the new smoking. There's a lot of you know research coming out that it's not so bad, but it is bad, uh, but we're not built to sit. And so I'm standing now uh, because it's because it's healthier. But the other thing is there's doctors who have said that standing makes you 7% smarter. So I wanted to give you my best. And so I thought, stand up because you'll think better when you're talking to Diana. And, and they do say that if you do exercise, but you sit for eight to 10 hours a day, um, you are negating the, the effects of the workout. Um, that just gives your brain such great oxygen. Eating the right thing, same thing. Connecting with humans actually comes underneath Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that, you know, you need to be connected with other human beings. And the reason I say that is because back to the technology, we're talking about energy here, but that fuels people because when we're talking about technology and you're talking to your team and you're busy on your smartphone and you're like, yeah, what do you need? No, I could do two things at once. They feel even unconsciously dissed. Um, you're not giving them that connection. And so even for you, when you're talking to your boss or whatever, you want their full attention. You really have to think about those five energy drivers in a process. I got to tell you, for people like myself and like you and your listeners, it's not so easy to take a break. 
And I've had to force myself to do that because after each project, it's really important to get up, go take a walk. Here in Tucson, I'm just going to be honest with you, there are days I'll just go out and sit on the lounge chair, you know, at the pool for 10 minutes just to relax because your productivity will go up significantly. Uh, but it's not easy because we feel guilty. It's like, no, I can't take a break. And Diana, I think I said this, and I uh, sometimes will say, I'm glad that McDonald's didn't fire me when I was working with you because I grew up in the McDonald's system with the term, if you, don't, if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. And you know, for so many of us that grew up in the McDonald's world, that was like, hey, there's no room for rest kind of thing. When in fact, a little rest goes a long way towards further productivity. So you must, as a leader, a driven leader, you got to take a break and you have to model that so that your team feels like they can too. So there's that. That's, probably, that's really important. The last thing I'll say is I was struggling with sleep uh, for a while. And I know seven, seven and a half hours is the right amount of sleep. And I kept waking up, you know, three or four hours. And I just really worked at it. And I'm just, I hope I'm not jinxing myself, but I got to tell you, I feel so much better because I finally had myself sleeping between six and a half and seven and a half hours per night solidly. Not only do I feel better, I haven't said a word to anybody except you. And people are saying, oh, you, you look so good. What are you doing? And I'm thinking, oh God, it's the sleep. I, you know, it really, it really is important. So those are some things that I do and we must do as leaders, both for ourselves and to model those right behaviors uh, for our teams. Oh, wow. That is just great, great advice for everyone. And I couldn't echo what you said more in regards to sleep and how important it is. And as I coach leaders, they'll tell me that's the one area that they don't get as much sleep because they're trying to get caught up or do those other things. And just trying to get them to spend a couple more hours sleeping, truly sleeping. And I think it's the disconnecting. What I see from the people I coach is you've got to be able to disconnect so that your body can just relax and your brain can calm down so you can sleep. You can't work up to the minute and then you're in bed going, okay, now it starts, go to sleep. You, you have to be in the right uh, mindset too. So some, some great advice there. Thank you. I have two sisters, one older, one younger. They're execs in New York City. I've begged them also with this, and they're doing, they're, they've really changed their ways thanks to their, you know, middle wise sister helping them. But um, <laughs> if you're going to sleep with your cell phone on, where it either vibrates or make noise, you are surely never going to get the right kind of sleep. And I use the do not disturb. And, and it allows you to put in those that get through no matter what. So the only two people that I will allow to get through are my sisters, only because my father is 94 years old and in a home, and we must know if they need me in the middle of the night. So they can get through. But other than that, and at six o'clock, it automatically comes back on. So that's another piece of technology. We just shut it down. So you don't hear the dings and stuff like that or expecting them, and you'll get a much better night's sleep. Terrific advice. I, I also know that, you know, turning that blue light down, that has helped me too. You yes. know, if you do look at it, that, that blue light is so stimulating. So, yep. Great. So one thing I love to ask all of my guests, we've, we've had some wonderful guests and some great insights. I like to ask this question, who has had the greatest impact on your professional life? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? I've had a few. 
Uh, one in particular was one of the vice presidents at a company a long time ago. I've been blessed with a number of people, but she, before I even knew of Franklin Covey or any of Stephen's thinking, and this might have even been before he formulated, you know, the seven habits, but I remember her really coaching me uh, on staying focused on what I can control. You know, I was in my, mm, I was probably in my uh, late 20s, early 20s, something like that. And um, there was some things going on in the organization, but she was clear, like, don't, don't worry, don't use up brain cells, you know, with that, stay focused on what's important to you and what you can influence. And I think, you know, that was, plus she was very encouraging to help me grow and saw potential that I wasn't sure that I had. She was really an influence. And and I, I could tell the same story about three or four other people. What final piece of advice or productivity tip do you have for our talent champions? I think the final tip is probably a repeat of what I said before, but uh, leaving with this is key, that this takes intentional work. You know, we need to be conscious of how do we set up systems of productivity? How do we, in some cases, set our egos aside and become people that are curating to the most important things versus I can do it all. I'm, I'm great. I, you know, I can do it all. Not that everybody does that, but it does seep in. You know, I'm a laboratory rat. I'm not here as a perfect person. I'm here as somebody who reflects often on these things and I can feel my own humanity seeping in. So, you know, being really intentional about it and understanding that you will get the best results out of yourself and your team if you model the correct behaviors around productivity. So being intentional and modeling a few good productivity behaviors will have an enormous ripple effect for your personal self and for others. Great advice as we wrap up uh, this podcast. So many wonderful tips and things to think about. I actually was making some notes of things that I need to go back and maybe reevaluate or I know that I can do at a higher level to stay even more focused on what's most important. To me, this is a beginning of a, a journey for many. And for others that have been on the journey, like myself, is con- continuing to recommit to stay focused and reevaluate where you spend your time and reflect on what you got accomplished and what you may want to do better or different. So thank you. Thank you so much. And my last thing to ask you is how can our listeners get in touch with you or continue to learn more? Well, uh, you're welcome to email me directly. So I'm, I'm happy to, to share that with you. It's Corey.Cogan at FranklinCovey.com. So it's K-O-R-Y dot K-O-G-O-N at FranklinCovey.com. You can go to our website, which is FranklinCovey.com and, uh, you know, go to our productivity pages and learn more there and Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure having you be one of our guests. I know our audience is going to benefit tremendously from what you shared. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Thank you. And also, I'll look for people on LinkedIn as well. 
Terrific. Thank you. And thank you so much, Diana. It was a real pleasure. And um, always love to talk to to and with talent champions like yourself and uh, in helping those folks that you're helping as well. So thank you and have a great year. Thanks again, Corey. And to our listeners, if you'd like to access some of the tips and support documents that we referenced in this episode, please go to our website, talent-champions.com. That's talent-champions.com. Please join us for our next podcast, where I will be talking with Carol McBride, a human resource leader and author of HR, Where's Your Freaking Sense of Humor? We'll get into many areas of HR, how the field is changing, and what talent champions should be doing now if you aspire to the role of Chief Human Resource Officer. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show or to receive more valuable insights, please visit franklincovey.com slash talent champions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.